It's not quite time for the madness that is college basketball in March, but that doesn't mean that the fun has to wait. DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is giving all new players a chance to cash $100. New players can bet $1 on any team to hit a three-pointer in any basketball game this week. And if your team makes it rain, you cash $100. That's right. All it takes is for one three-pointer to be hit by your chosen team to turn $1 into $100. Sounds like a no-brainer. This slam dunk of an offer won't be around forever, so head to the App Store now. Download the DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook app and get in all the action. DraftKings has paid out over $7 billion to its players since 2012, so they know a thing or two about big paydays. So do me a favor. Download the DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook app now and use the promo code WMVP to get your shot to turn $1 into $100 when you bet on any team to hit a three-pointer in any basketball game this week. That's promo code WMVP. For new customers to get a shot at 100 to 1 odds in any basketball team of their choosing to hit a three-point shot, only with DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Illinois only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. Winnings paid out in four $25 free bets. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. If you or someone you know has got a gambling problem, Crisis counseling referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537. And now, let's start the show. Greg Popovich. Played very well tonight. Great team defense. Did a good job. Kobe Bryant. Michael double teamed on the drive in for the left, gets chased into the corner, comes right back. Oh, yeah. Woo! Yeah. Woo! Basketball is hood. You're a duck. You're weak. What do you get? Welcome, Welcome to Under the Hood Basketball. Reggie Miller, your fault. MJ 55, your fault. 61, your fault. With Jonathan Hood. What's up? It's Jonathan Hood, and this, my friends, is the Under the Hood Basketball Podcast brought to you by DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook. We're going to hear from our friend Andre Snellings, the analytics guru from ESPN.com. We'll get his thoughts about the Bulls and about other storylines around the NBA, including amazing that LeBron James is still upright and still getting it done for the Lakers and what's going on with Philadelphia. So we'll go around the league, including the Bulls, with Andre Snellings from ESPN.com in a little bit. Let's start with the Bulls, though. The Bulls, as we record this at noon on Monday, the 22nd of February, the Bulls will take on the Houston Rockets. And the Bulls are a one-point favorite on DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook. So it's almost even between these two. So Victor Oladipo is not going to play for Houston. And it's John Wall. And will Boogie Cousins play? Not sure about that. But let's go back to the Bulls' last game. They beat the Sacramento Kings 122-114 to on Saturday night. And Zach Levine had 38 points. And he was 15 for 20 from the field. Dude, he is just balling. 38 points, 3 assists, 4 rebounds. The Bulls shot 60% from the field against the Kings, 44%. Also into the mix, Kobe White. Kobe had 19 points, 18 points for Thaddeus Young. Solid win for the Bulls against a Western Conference foe. It's interesting, Sacramento, kind of that same way, trying to figure out who they are. But the big question, and I don't know if you've seen some of this... Um, I don't know, some subtweeting and some people here and there have been talking about Zach Levine, you know, Chris Bleck and Adam Abdallah on their show, on Bleck and Abdallah on ESPN 1000 in Chicago. Uh, they've talked a lot about Zach Levine, and of course, we've talked a lot about him as well here on this podcast. My thought on Zach, and we're going to hear from him in a minute, Zach Levine is a really, really good player, a very solid player, an all-star player on a team that's still trying to find its identity. And so if you are the Bulls brass, the new brass of Eversley and Karnaschovas, you got to figure out, 
is the juice worth the squeeze? Do you give Zach Levine a full boat contract? Now, here's the thing. Here's how I think. I believe that Zach Levine is deserving of that contract. And I think that he can be a Chicago Bull for the long haul. I have no problem with that. But you quickly have to be able to find other players around him that can support what he does offensively. You could say, okay, let's you know trade Zach Levine because Zach Levine is not very good defensively. Yeah, he will score 38 and give up 40. Oh, there's no doubt about that. That's not throwing shade at Zach. That's actually the facts when you look at the numbers of how he could be a liability defensively. A lot of, Like a lot of players in the league, they're just trying to get theirs and try to outscore teams instead of really having the value of being able to stay in front of your defender. But here's the thing. If you do trade Zach Levine, say, for instance, a team that just needs a little bit more punch, like Boston, for instance. The Celtics have not been off to a great start. Um, and so what if a team like Boston, what if a team that's kind of in the middle trying to make their way up, say if it's a Denver or some other teams like that, they're just trying to make their way into the fray, into the top three of their particular conference and really want to make some noise in the playoffs. Okay, so the Bulls get draft capital in return, and then what? See, the Bulls are young enough, and if you take away the 27, 28 points a game that you can get from Zach Levine, then who's going to score the ball? That's not Patrick Williams. That's not even that's not even Kobe White. I'd rather for the Bulls to build around Zach Levine and be able to be a perennial playoff team working their way to the top than to say get rid of the guy that's the most productive and then just start over. Because ultimately, if you do trade Zach Levine, that is you starting over. And so me personally, on the record, telling you here on the Under the Hood Basketball Podcast, when the contract comes around for Zach Levine, I think you give it to him unless you have a way to be able to improve your team with multiple players via a, a trade. If you're trading Wendell Carter Jr., if you're trading Lowry Markkinen, if you know, draft capital, Zach Levine, whatever. Unless you can make your team that much better quickly, then you give Zach the money and then you try to figure out how you can get the number two and three players around him. Because again, no matter what Zach does and his magic and he scores the most points of any player in the league in the fourth quarter, that's all good. But not if you're under 500. And so that's not even on Zach. That's on the Bulls to be able to find better players to, that can support what Zach does. Say Zach has a bad, a bad shooting night. So who's going to pick up the slack? Now you're waiting for the development of the paw, Patrick Williams, as well as Kobe White. But remember in this league, you need to have at least three p- players that can really pay dividends for your team. Three guys. How quickly can the Bulls get that done? That's the question. Zach Levine got a chance to speak to the press after the game about his efficiency and about the Bulls' victory against Sacramento. Let's go back to Saturday night. In terms of efficiency, when it comes to it, how much do you pay attention to it and what do you attribute it to? Uh, I mean, pay attention to it. Not I'm just going out there playing, man. Trying Obviously, go out there and try to make every shot, but feel like I, I've worked on my game over the last, you know, each year. Um, worked on things I've done well and worked on things I haven't done as much, but capitalize on things, obviously, that you do well. And, um, you know, you go from there. I think hard work, you know, it, it contributes to everything. And also defensively tonight on Fox, how would you evaluate your performance? Look like you did a pretty good job individually against him. You just try to make it tough. You know, he's an extremely, you know, tough player to play against. He's been hot all year. He makes, the, you know, their team go. And, you know, sometimes you got to match speed with speed. Um, and, you know, I just try to make it difficult for him and make some tough shots. But, you know, just, just go out there and fight, man. I think that's what we're getting good at. You're doing that a lot more, though, Zach. I mean, where you're guarding uh, the other teams, either best wing player or uh, someone who's a lethal scorer uh, who's, who's got – Got a good, great game going. Uh, how much is that taking out of you on the other end? It doesn't look to be that way, but, I mean, what what's your process like when you have to give your team what you're giving them offensively at the same time you're going out there and taking that challenge defensively? Yeah, that's what I want. That's what I work for. You know, I have the capability to, you know, be that guy. And I just got to keep showing it on a nightly basis. You know, not, it's not always about, you know, you know, having energy for the offensive end. It's, you know, what the possession needs at that time and what the team needs. So, you know, I'll sacrifice whatever I have to do to help us win. 
Here's Billy Donovan with his thoughts about Zach Levine. Casey Johnson? Billy, just last night you were talking about the need for, for Zach to always uh, stay aggressive, and you were saying it doesn't always necessarily mean shots, but when he's 9 for 9 in the restricted area like he, he was tonight, where would you assess kind of his overall recognition of defensive coverages and just knowing when to attack and all that stuff this season? I mean, I think it's continually getting better, Casey. I just, you know, that, how he—that's he, how he's got to play. He's got to play downhill. He just does because what happens is when he does that, it opens up the three-point line for him, and it opens up opportunities for him to, you know, get cleaner looks. Um, but he's got to be attacking, and then you know, once he gets in there, you know, not to say that he has to shoot, but he can make decisions from there. But I think when he's trying to like read the defense without being aggressive, it becomes very, very difficult to make passes. Um, you know, I, I thought a little bit. You know, for him, and he could probably answer this, this is just my opinion. Uh, you know, I thought our team, I put him back pretty early in the fourth quarter. I, I, I thought the, the effects of last night, the travel, I, I thought we were playing a little bit tired coming down the stretch. And, you know, I give him credit. He made some big plays down the stretch for us and, you know, played 37 minutes uh, last night. And I don't know what it was tonight, but, you know, he, he really uh, carried us in a lot of ways tonight offensively. Billy Donovan. Zach Levine talking to the press after the Bulls beat the Sacramento Kings. All right, how about some random news and notes for you from this weekend? It was busy. We got a lot to cover as far as the NBA and college basketball. So, unusual story that happened on Sunday night, Monday morning. Adrian Wojnarowski says that the Minnesota Timberwolves hired uh, Raptors assistant coach Chris Finch as the franchise's new coach on Monday. And I saw that story and I was like, um, okay, so Vinch is on the bench <laughs> for the Toronto Raptors and he just gets hired. I heard some stories, though, about uh, the former coach, Ryan Saunders. Did he have something to do with Thibodeau being let go? Mm, I don't know. Um, but I just think that's interesting that Chris Finch is going to be the new head coach, even though he's currently an assistant with the Raptors. He just leaves the Raptors bench to immediately be the head coach for Minnesota. That's an unusual story. That usually doesn't happen. Usually that happens in an offseason. How about some games for you? Okay. Last night was off the chain for the NBA in that we had a couple of interesting games, including New Orleans, right? New Orleans defeating the Boston Celtics 120-115 to in overtime. Now, it was interesting because of the Boston Celtics. They're now 15-15 and as we record this. And so I'm looking at this, and I see Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson. They were catalyst because Ingram highlighted a 33-point performance by hitting a go-ahead three-pointer uh, three with 33 seconds left in overtime. And... They came all the way back from behind to win the game. They were down 24, and they came back to beat the Celtics. The Celtics need some help. They do. Nothing against Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown because Tatum had 32 and Jalen Brown had 25. But they really need some help offensively. And I don't know if that's Andre Drummond. I don't know if that's Boogie Cousins for the future. But they need some offensive help. But Zion Williamson and New Orleans getting the job done as they defeat the Celtics. That was an all-time bad loss for the Celtics. Still a good team, but kind of ordinary so far through the first 30 games of the season. Huge comeback. So LeBron James says it's on him to be able to pick up the Lakers as Anthony Davis is out. You know, remember one of our last episodes of the Under the Hood Basketball Podcast, we talked to Brian Kamenitsky, who covers the Lakers for um, the Lando Lakers podcast. And he said, you know, hey, I like the Lakers chances to maybe repeat. But Anthony Davis is injured again. And we've seen this a lot, either with the Pelicans or with the Lakers injured again. And LeBron says he's going to pick up the slack, which is amazing to me. Got to talk to Andre Snellings, our guest, coming up a little bit about that. That's amazing that he's going to have to pick up the slack as well as um, Dennis Schroeder, who's going to be out for about five, six games as well. Uh, So he's got to be the guy. Now, that Laker game the other night, they had a chance to win the game. LeBron passed it and they lose the game uh, on Saturday night. But LeBron, he is just a monster. I don't care what anyone says about that guy. He's willing to play, and that is pretty strong. Uh, at this age, not taking time off, he says he never gets tired. 
that he is a beast. Just like Tom Brady is a beast for the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers at his age, at LeBron's age, the mileage on that body, and he's still performing at a high level, strong. The Brooklyn Nets defeated the L.A. Clippers. That was Sunday night, 112-108 to in Los Angeles, the Brooklyn Nets win. So no Durant because you know that he's been out with the hamstring. And so you see the Nets, they still have plenty of scoring. It's Kyrie Irving, it's James Harden. Kyrie Irving had 28 points, 12-26 from the field. James Harden had 37 points and 11 rebounds and 7 assists without Kevin Durant. Brooklyn's still a very strong team to watch. Joe Harris is a guy that can knock down threes for them. And so the question is, are the Clippers ever going to be able to break through? Will they ever be able to break through? They are, once again, a good team in the West. But will they just be a tough out or can they win the West this year? Big questions about them. But the Nets with a really interesting win. Now, here's the thing about the Clippers. Because of Ty Lue wanting to have a minutes restriction on Paul George, Paul George was not in the game down the stretch. Om Young Masuk, who writes for ESPN.com, wrote the piece, despite scoring 12 points in under five minutes during the fourth quarter to help spark the late comeback, Paul George found himself cheering for his team on the sideline uh, as George was on the sideline with a minutes restriction. He only could play 32 minutes and even though he's posted 34 points and seven assists and six rebounds, there's a minutes restriction. And so Paul George laughed. He was like, yeah, you know I want to be out there. It's tough, but I, I couldn't be out there because of the minutes restriction. If Paul George is out there, maybe the Clippers find a way to win that ball game. But, of course, the minutes restriction. And Kawhi Leonard's good, but he can't do it all by himself. He tried, but the Brooklyn Nets won. The Nets... I know I talk about it almost every podcast, but they are interesting. <laughs> it's an interesting team. It really is. Because I'm just looking forward to seeing when they're all healthy and all playing together in the playoffs, what does that look like? I'm just very interested in that uh, in a big way. Okay. Let's take a look at some of the top teams in the NBA. Then I got to play something I thought was hilarious for you from the Dan LeBetard show at Stugatz. I think that you'll find this funny. So, when we look at the top teams in the NBA, of course, Utah has the best record. There's no doubt. But then, the, according to ESPN.com, they've got the Clippers at two, the Lakers at three, Brooklyn at four, and the Phoenix Suns at five. But I just want to just give a shout-out to teams like the Philadelphia 76ers. The Sixers have played good basketball. If you're a Bulls fan, you watched them uh, the other night on ESPN against the Sixers. Boy, Joel Embiid is special. Guy scored 50 points against the Bulls. Come on now. That's his best game that he's played as a pro. He's shooting threes. He's going to the basket. He looks healthy or healthy enough to be able to be out there to pay dividends for the 76ers. And the Bucks. I'm scratching my head at them. Because even though Giannis and Chris Middleton played a good game Friday night against Oklahoma City, is this the real thing? Will they be able to be the top team in the East this year? Huh. And so those are among the top teams I've enjoyed watching. Saw the Trailblazers the other night. Trailblazers have been a, a good story this year as well. But the, the East with the Sixers, the Nets, the Bucks, very, very interesting. I can't wait for me to be able to do this podcast with you and talk to you about the Bulls being one of the top teams in the East. One day, that will happen if you're a Chicago Bulls fan. But for right now, we have to see how the how the teams are built around the NBA. And the Nets, I, I mean, not to be a prisoner of the moment, man, but man, those three together, now can they stop someone? Can they guard when it really matters in the playoffs? The Nets. Uh, I'll, I'll check on that. Okay, I got something for you as well about the Utah Jazz, right? How many times have you and I seen like a Denver team or a Utah team get off to a great start and, and then we get to the playoffs, all of a sudden they don't have the star power or they don't have the production to be able to beat LeBron, to beat the Golden State Warriors, to, to beat you know top teams in the West, and then they just kind of wilt away. They were they're like 50-plus win teams, great regular season watches, and then all of a sudden, they just go away. Goodbye, Utah. Goodbye, Denver. And so the Utah Jazz, again, off to a great start. 
a terrific team here in the regular season, but are they built to last? Dan Levitard and Stu Gatz talked about that on their podcast. Listen to this. I am asking you guys this question from a sports viewpoint. What does the Utah Jazz have to do for you to believe that the Utah Jazz can actually win the championship what could they go undefeated during a regular season and you will believe that they will win the championship is it just because over the years we've watched every incarnation of utah jazz basketball and it never wins (laughs) at the end whether it's gobert or donovan mitchell or carl malone or john stockton or any incarnation of jerry sloan's jazz we have is it because are we holding Five decades of history against that basketball team. Yes, I think we are. I'll also say that there is a way, Dan. There's a path. Kevin Durant, his Achilles, Anthony Davis, and his Achilles. That would be the path where maybe I could see the Utah Jazz winning an NBA title. But yes, we are using their past against them. And then I think we're all thinking Donovan Mitchell is your best player is not winning you an NBA title. It might get you to 22 and 5. It ain't winning yet, title. Okay, well, this is the thing that Shaq said to Donovan Mitchell's face on the broadcast. And I don't think it's fair because it's not getting you to a title because, oh, look what's in the conference. The single greatest player in the history of the sport who we only compare to ghosts like Michael Jordan. And you've seen the dunks he was putting. This is 36 years old. Crazy. You, you guys see that physically, athletically, he's still better than everyone else at 36 years old and Blake Griffin hasn't dunked since 2019 and you all saw the dunk from LeBron at 36 this weekend where he's taking the, the length of the court on two dribbles whether you thought he traveled or not he's still bigger stronger faster than everyone he's playing against hasn't missed a game playing as good as he's ever played that wing dunk was my favorite dunk of the weekend he got one from the way it was like he was 25 okay, years okay but old it's again, not man. fair to Donovan Mitchell to compare him that's not fair it's not fair to anybody I'm not God. comparing him I'm saying that's why he's not going to win a title the Jazz but, aren't going to win a title but you, you say Donovan Mitchell's not good enough he would be if Do- if LeBron James pulled his groin again right And then we, yes, are we still, or no? Yeah, but the same way Michael prevented a lot of guys from winning titles, LeBron will probably prevent guys like Mitchell from winning a title. But I'm asking you that to say that about Donovan Mitchell, because Shaq did this. Shaq did it to Donovan Mitchell's face. And somebody was arguing with me on Twitter saying, you can't say that that's cowardice. And I don't know who said it was cowardice. It seems like a... uh, or that there was a that there wasn't any bravery in Shaquille O'Neal saying that to Donovan Mitchell's face, and I don't think saying a dumb thing to Donovan Mitchell's face is anything that resembles bravery. Donovan Mitchell is somebody who is as good at what he does as anybody is at that thing that he does, and his team is good because he has grown over the last few years. Yep. And I also don't believe that he's as good as LeBron James. But that's the slight now. That's the slight that a guy isn't as good as LeBron James, so therefore he's not good enough to win a championship with. I don't feel like I'm slighting him. I'm saying he's a great player. I'm just not saying he's the greatest player to ever play. And the greatest player or one of the greatest players to ever play, LeBron James, is still playing and still playing at a very high level. And if it's not LeBron, it's Kawhi Leonard. Dan, I'm not certain in a best of seven you would feel comfortable picking the Jazz over the Mavericks right now. Think about it. Porzingis and Luka. I'm not certain. I'm not certain. Or or the Nuggets, for that matter. They're not even a playoff team. I mean the Mavericks right now. So you're just doing star power. You're just believing. You're just believing this team has a better star than Donovan Mitchell. And you're doing to Donovan Mitchell what I did to Jimmy Butler all of last year. That's exactly what I'm doing. Yeah. But isn't Donovan Mitchell? Isn't Donovan Mitchell better than Jimmy Butler? Um, He might be. He's in a more difficult conference, though. I mean, Jimmy Butler doesn't have to face LeBron James, doesn't have to face Kawhi Leonard, doesn't have to face Damian Lillard, doesn't have to face Chris Paul. Isn't Donovan Mitchell indisputably a top 10 player in that league by whatever the metrics are that you're choosing to use? Bottom half of the top 10, admittedly, against some of those guys like Giannis. Or am I getting it wrong? Is he not a top 10 player in the league? Is he a top 10 player in the league? The way pull up my top 10 rankings here, Dan. No, but the reason I'm doing that is because I believe if you, uh, throughout any point in the history of the sport, if I believe I have a top 10 player on my team and I have the right complimentary player, I do believe I have a team that's worthy of winning a championship. Is he a top 10 player, though? I mean, I mean, look at the stats right now. He's a top 10 player in the league right now. 
Yeah, but there are other guys you would trust over him, Mike. You know that. You would trust Damian Lillard over him. Yeah, I would. Yeah. What's Utah's record? The answer's no to my original. losses. 23 and 5. Jesus. The answer to my original question is there is nothing they could do that would make any of you believe that they could win the championship. Okay, very good. Topic closed. We now welcome in Ron McGill of Zoo Miami. I'm glad we had that conversation. Top 10 players, ranking the teams, regular season basketball. Okay, we have all agreed. Uh, it's, I want to hit a gavel. I want to close the session. Okay, we've all agreed. Utah cannot win the championship. Uh, yeah, and by the way, I saw what uh, Shaq on Inside the NBA told Donovan Mitchell a few weeks ago saying, I don't think that you're that good or whatever the, the quote was. Whatever it was, it was a diss on Donovan Mitchell. And Mitchell just got his headphones on He's and he's listening to what Shaq had to say after the game that Utah played. And Donovan was just nonplussed. He was just like, okay, whatever. Whatever, Shaq. You don't think I'm that good? You don't think we're that good? Okay. He goes, he was just totally indifferent to what Shaq had to say. Kind of like me when I watch inside the NBA and pretty much indifferent to anything that Shaq says. Shaq ruined the best sports post-game show and pre-game show ever for me. Kenny, the Jet Smith, Charles Barkley, and EJ were friends. They had had a bond. And then Shaq comes in with his sensitive nonsense and whatever blather that he says on that show he ruined what for me was already a good show before Shaq got there all right nonetheless let's talk a little bit about college basketball and don't forget Andre Snellings is going to be with us from ESPN.com if you are a Bulls fan especially as someone that's interested about Zach Levine there's some information and numbers that Andre will give us coming up in a few moments here on the Under the Hood Basketball Podcast I think that you'll listen to so and by the way always check the description of the podcast check out the time codes and so you can be able to skip ahead to whatever segment that you like it's in the, in the description of this podcast but Andre's going to break down some numbers about Zach Levine should he be with the Bulls long term or not we'll get that answered coming up in a little bit but I just want to give a shout out to the college basketball man I've been so into the Big Ten this year like it's one thing for me to be doing UIC Flames basketball as I finished up uh, the regular season with them, Chris Black and I do the games. We had a fun time this season. But the Big Ten, woo, it's been fun. So here's what I've been looking for. I've been looking for Illinois to be able to take a step. And what I mean by that is to show some dominance. So Illinois has won their seventh in a row. And from the beginning to end, they were dominant. And I've been looking for that for Illinois for a minute here. If they're really going to be a serious tournament team, you've got to put your foot on the throat of your opponents. Ayo Desumu, 19 points, 10 rebounds, 10 assists. His second triple-double of the season. Kofi Coburn, he had 22 points in 24 minutes. They cruised past Minnesota, 94-63. to And so... Illinois is 15-5. Are they the best in the Big Ten? No, because I watched Michigan State against, I'm sorry, Michigan against Ohio State. The Michigan Wolverines are the best team in the Big Ten and one of the best teams in college basketball. So even though they've had some COVID restrictions and some issues, they were pretty solid when they need to be in a really fun ball game this past Sunday on the 21st. Watching the back and forth of that game, that was Ohio State gave them their best effort in a game that was high scoring more than I thought it was going to be. And Michigan made fewer mistakes and they end up winning the ball game against uh, Ohio State. I'm very impressed by what Juwan Howard's team has done at Michigan. So, Michigan is the number three team in the country, and watching. Hunter Dickerson, uh, Dickinson had 22 points and nine rebounds, and Eli Brooks had 17. And so, hopefully, we'll see this matchup again because both teams will make the NCAA tournament. But I've had a fun time, and now we're going to get Michigan against Iowa on Thursday, <laughs> and Ohio State against Michigan State on Thursday. Don't count out Izzo yet. We're getting close to March. Even though they've had a down year, watch them now. Watch Michigan State. There's going to be, what, seven teams in the tournament? Eight teams in the tournament? We'll see. 
But it, it, this is going to be fun. If you have not watched Big Ten basketball, my friends, watch that very closely. It has been fun to watch. Um, Gonzaga stays the top in the AP poll. Gonzaga, once again, is the number one team. Now, here's a question, and I got to check my DraftKings for this. So what would you rather take? Would you rather have Gonzaga win the national championship or the field? How about Baylor and Gonzaga versus the field? You know what? I'm leaning toward the field. And I'm not even saying Illinois is going to win it all. But Gonzaga still needs to prove it. Can they put themselves in a position where they can get it done and win uh, the national championship? If it's not going to happen now with all these blue bloods down, the Dukes, Kentuckys, teams like that, if they can't do it, when can they do it? Okay, one other story I got to get to, and that's the Jalen Johnson story. Are you familiar with this? This Jalen Johnson story? So... Jim Beheim was on his radio show, TK99FM, and was talking about Jalen Johnson. Now, the story is that Jalen Johnson decided to opt out of Duke, the player for Duke. So on his weekly radio show, Beheim said that he felt that Duke was playing better in recent games after freshman forward Jalen Johnson's decision to opt out for the rest of the season. So Johnson is projected to be a first-round pick in this year's draft, but he has struggled and missed games due to injuries this season. In its two games without Johnson, Duke beat Wake Forest and they beat North Carolina State. Syracuse is set to play Duke. Um, That's going to take place tonight, Monday the 22nd, which is why the topic came up. Here is Beheim's quote. I don't know. This guy was hurting them, so they actually are playing much better without him. He was just doing some things and keeping other people from playing that are good. They have two monster wins since he opted out, and they're playing good basketball. They've got very good talent. I don't know. You know, they were going to play this thing out, and they were playing very well. Every game we play is very difficult and a great challenge, and we look forward to it. So flippantly, flippantly, Bayheim just says, oh, you know, they're playing much better without him, so... Who cares? He opts out. They don't need him, right? Now, again, Jalen Johnson opted out because he wasn't playing much. He is going to be projected as a first-round draft pick. Duke's down. Now, two ways to look at it. Why why don't you stick with the team? Just play it out and see what happens. Or you could do what you think is best for you and your career. Still be on campus. Still be at the Duke Medical Center. And finish out your freshman year with Duke and then see what happens in the draft. Every player that's supposed to be a one and done of these blue blood programs, whether it's Kentucky, whether it's Duke, whether it's Kansas, you know, whatever the, the program is that recruits just to have these mercenaries, these players for a year, it's up to the player to say, you know what? I'm only here for a year. I'm only going to your particular program because I know you can give me a fast track to the NBA. When you are a five-star recruit and you're supposed to be a player that's supposed to help lead a college basketball team to a national championship, the player also knows, hey, I'm not here for my sophomore, junior, and senior year. You want me to be here just for a year and then see what happens, right? The player knows that and the coach knows that. And so Jalen Johnson says, you know what, I'm just going to make sure I rehab and can put myself in position for the draft. And, of course, people look at it and say, oh, why would you do that? Well, first of all, it's a business decision on both. So if Johnson wants to opt out, that's fine. Because you know why? Because Coach K will find another five-star recruit and replace him next year. If the team's playing better without him, fine, whatever. I don't think that's the case. But I just think it's funny that a player makes a business decision for himself. And, he makes it, and of course, his family's involved in the decision. And so they say, do what's best for you. And because guess what? The coach will always do what's best for them. Coaches have opted out on players. They recruit players and all of a sudden they just take another job. Well, what's the player supposed to do? No one ever criticizes the coach that he says, well, I'm just going to get up and just take this other job, even though they have courted and talked to parents, looked them in the eye and said, hey, I will take care of your son. I will take care of your daughter. Don't worry about it. And they go and leave another program. They just just leave another program that takes more money at another program. So the loyalty is a two-way street from the player standpoint and from the coach's standpoint. Jalen Johnson needed to leave, so he left. So how about this? Check this out. Syracuse men's basketball coach Jim Beheim 
according to Yahoo Sports, attempted to clarify his comments on Duke freshman Jalen Johnson this weekend. Beheim addressed Johnson's decision not to play the rest of the season by blasting his contributions or lack thereof on his weekly radio show, as it's talked about, right? The big takeaway is that Jim Beheim says that he really hasn't been watching Duke that much and hasn't seen the freshman play. <laughs> All this conversation, right? And and he criticized the kid, saying this guy was actually hurting them. So they actually are much playing much better now. And Beheim admitted, says, I watched two games. I said two games. That was a mistake. I watched a half of the North Carolina State and the whole game against Wake. What I saw and what Seth Greenberg saw, too, they played the best I've seen them play this year. Wake Forest, they just lost in overtime at Florida State. Duke had them down 30. North Carolina State is a good team, I think. They just beat Pittsburgh, and I think they're pretty good. There's no casting aspersions on Jalen Johnson. I haven't even seen Jalen Johnson play this year, to be honest. He's a tremendous player, probably will be a great pro. I just made the observation, my opinion, that I thought that they played better without him in those two games. So the question here is, how can you first say that a player was hurting the team, but then amend your comments to say you actually hadn't even watched a player on that said team? <laughs> See? Jim Beheim, full of shit again. Not a surprise, right? Not a surprise. Shocking that Beheim says that they played much better, they don't need him, and then you've never even seen the player play. <laughs> Oh, man. All right. Let's hear from Jay Billis and his thoughts from ESPN.com. I thought the comments were inappropriate, frankly. And Jim Beheim has done this before. Uh, when James Akinjo left Georgetown, he had the exact same things to say about James Akinjo. That somehow Akinjo was selfish, never passed the ball. All he wanted to do was shoot it, and they were better off without it. Uh, not to mention that Akinjo averaged over five assists when he was at Georgetown, went to Arizona, and is averaging over five assists at Arizona. Uh, players that don't pass don't average five assists and lead their conference uh, in assists. And uh, and the idea that that the two monster wins were NC State and Wake Forest and the context of, of those four wins that Duke had without Jalen Johnson were uh, Notre Dame, Boston College and two games against Wake Forest. Uh, you know, that that's that's not to, the idea that somehow they're better without Jalen Johnson, I think, is patently false. But the other thing that disturbs me, and this is not just Jim Beheim, this has gone on quite a bit with commentators, and everybody's entitled to their opinion, I get it, but I'm entitled to mine too, and I'm going to give it right here. The idea somehow <laughs> that that his family is considered a camp, there are undertones to that that are really disturbing. You know, Luca Garza, we've got we've got all these feature stories on Luca Garza and his, and his parents, his dad working him out, being hyper-involved. And uh, Jalen Johnson has two parents, and he consulted his parents in making this decision. And his parents dealt with Duke, as did he. And somehow the idea that if really cared about his health, he'd stay at Duke Medical Center, as if this is only one thing and they don't have doctors uh, where he lives. And if he's opting out for his draft status, that he's supposed to stay in isolation uh, for how it looks. I don't buy any of that. Uh, there are legitimate things right. that we can talk about, sort of the idea, was this the best thing for his draft status? He's going to have to answer these questions to the NBA. Maybe sticking it out and playing would be better for him. I don't know the answer to that. We can discuss sure. that. But attacking the player I thought was inappropriate of Jim Beheim, and it's been inappropriate of other commentators that have said similar things. And, and it's got some undertones that, that I don't like at all and, and I think should be called out. Let's turn to my guy, Andre Snellings. Remember episode four of this podcast? Uh, well, Andre Snellings from ESPN.com was part of it during that. Our guy, Andre Snellings, is going to join me now. We'll get his thoughts from ESPN.com about uh, the Bulls and Zach Levine. And, of course, we'll go around the NBA with him. He's going to be a part of something very special. It is called Beyond the Bots, Changing the Game. He's going to be on Twitch coming up this Thursday uh, at 4.30 p.m. Central Time. He'll talk about that. Hope that you can be part of his Twitch um, conference as he's going to be part of Beyond the Bots, Changing the Game. So here's my conversation with Andre Snellings. I first talked to him about Zach Levine. He's got some numbers for us regarding Zach Levine. Is he worth the future 
for the Chicago Bulls when it comes to a contract. Let's hear the numbers and the conversation about the NBA and Zach Levine with Andre Snellings. A stat that I really like to, to I call it, it's an impact stat. It, it, it's how does this player's presence on the court correlate with team success? Um, there, it, it's a plus-minus stat. ESPN has a, a version of it called Real Plus Minus. And so I looked at Zach Levine, and I've looked at his history, like his, his last several years. And the, the, I guess the positive about Levine is that for each of the last few years, he's been becoming a bigger impact player on offense. Um, he went from uh, in 2018 and then again in 2019, his offensive impact as measured by this stat was less than a point per 100 possessions, which means that his team scoring margin only about one point per 100 scoring possessions on offense with him on the court. But his defense gave it right back. You know, his, his defense was, was down below a point for 100 possessions. So on the whole, he was about a net neutral player, but he didn't really impact the game largely in any direction. In the last couple years, his offense has gotten better. Last year, he went up to about two points per 100 possession positive on offense. This year, he's up over three points. And so to put that in perspective, that puts him at about... I believe it was 35th, you know, he's, he's among the top, no, he's number, he's 26th. He's, he's number 26 in the NBA in offensive real plus minus, which is good. That suggests he's one of the better offensive um, players, especially offensive wings in the NBA. The problem is, well, it's twofold. For one, he's still giving up a lot of that um, positive on defense um, because his defense is actually – if anything, his, his impact on the defense is measured by this stat has gotten worse over the last couple of years. So he might be over plus three on offense, but he's like minus two and a half on defense. So on the whole, he's not having a huge impact on, on his team's fortunes. Um, the fact that his offense is getting better is a good thing. It, it, it suggests that he's improving. And one thing that I've, I've discovered in, in using this stat is that different positions – Offense and defense have different amounts of, of, of value. So for Levine being a guard, you could put him as a guard with a strong offensive impact on a team and kind of hide his defense if he's got the right players around him. So he could, you know, he's someone that could be a positive impact on the team. But I want to, you know, I want to be clear that plus three on offense, while solid, is not, you know, one of the, the top, top guys. Like Steph Curry's plus nine and a half on offense. You know, Damian Lillard's plus seven. You know, James Harden's plus six. So these are guys that in the scoring column, Levine is right behind him. But in terms of offensive impact, he's well back. So my takeaway would be he's not someone that you would necessarily want to be your best player, your best offensive player. Um, And that he either needs to work on his defense or in order to be successful, he needs to be on a team with a strong enough defensive structure and strong enough uh, defenders around him to kind of hide the fact that he's not great on, on defense and maybe he could be your secondary offensive um, uh, impact guy. Now, that doesn't, to me, necessarily translate to a max contract, which might be what he's looking for considering he's number six in the NBA in scoring. But, you know, when you look into it a little bit deeper, he's not one of the top six offensive players in the NBA. Okay, Dre, so what are the Bulls supposed to do then? Like, so this is where you are. Laurie Markkinen and Wendell Carter Jr. have not made the impact to say that those are going to be the second and third players. You know, the second best player on the team for me, again, from a number standpoint, obviously you disagree, but I'm just saying just from the eye test and watching the games, Thaddeus Young brings more to the table as a veteran than Lowry Marketing because Marketing is always hurt. So what do the Bulls do? Yeah, you're trying to move forward with Eversley and um, with Karnaschovas. So do you part with Zach? How do you handle that? Yeah, first of all, shout out to Thaddeus Young. That's, that's Georgia Institute of Technology represent right there. So <laughs> yes. I'm always have love for him. Yes. Um, so, I mean, you know, it, it becomes a question of building for the now and building for the future. Thaddeus Young, you're right. He is a he's a solid veteran. He knows how to make his impact. He knows what you know what to do on the court to accentuate the positive. But he's also you know not a spring chicken anymore. So if you're trying to build a contender. Right now, a Thaddeus Young is, hey, yeah, let, let's keep him. 
But if you're trying to build a contender in two to three years, he's not really going to be a, a centerpiece on that team. And so, you know, the Bulls kind of find themselves in this purgatory that, that you know, some teams get into and it's hard to get out where they're competitive now. You know, like I think what they're ninth in, in the, the East, you know, fighting for that, that um, chance to, to play into the playoffs. But I don't think they have the pieces on their roster now that's going to win them a championship. And so I'll have you know, philosophical debates with friends of mine as to whether, you know, it's better to just uh, be really bad, you know, kind of go the, the, the process route until you've got the pieces to, to contend. Or, you know, or, or, or do you want to really be competing for that six, seven, eight spot is like the upside for, for the foreseeable future. Um, I, you know, you mentioned Laurie Markinem, you mentioned um, Wendell Carter. Both of them, you know, actually I looked up their, their impact stats as well. And it's really one-sided, except for Carter, all of the, the offensive starters on, on the Bulls have a positive impact on the offense. Levine's the biggest one, but, you know, Kobe White's a little bit positive on offense. Uh, Markinen is, is, is kind of second in terms of impact on offense. Thad Young was a positive. Um, but they're all negatives on defense. So it's like, the, you know, with this being a, two, you know, a two-way game, um, clearly there, there needs to be players added to what's there um, or replacing what's there in order for this team to move in the opposite direction. You asked what the team should do. If it was reasonable, I, I would like to keep a Zach Levine. You know, he's a, a really good young player. Um, you know, just be like not being the best player on a, on a championship team is not an indictment. But it, if that's the, you know, if that's how he wants to be paid, then you start having to make some decisions. Like, okay, what, you know, what, what's the, the, what's the maximum that, that we're willing to give him? And if he won't accept that, then, you know, maybe start looking, looking at other moves, ways, ways to, to not lose out and, and get nothing for him. Let's take a look at, uh, you mentioned the Sixers and the trusted process. So here's Joel Embiid. I'm so happy for him because he's upright and he is moving fast. He scored 50, had his best game as a pro against Chicago this past weekend. So, and now we've seen aggressive Simmons as well. So how much is that coaching? I know, is it, can we look at Doc Rivers and say that he makes a difference or has the light just turned on for this group? So it's interesting. Like, there's a tendency, especially in, in you know, kind of, I, I would say people that, that watch the game and watch Sports Center, and, you know, everybody knows, hey, dude dropped 30, that means he's good. But there's a need to really pay attention to team building for a real life NBA team to be good. And so when you look at, to me, when I look at the 76ers, yes, I think Doc Rivers is a, is a great coach and he's a veteran and he knows how to to put players in position to succeed. But I think, I think that's actually the most important part. It's not necessarily about being brilliant X's and O's. It's Doc Rivers looks at this and he says, okay, we've got Joel Embiid, who looks like a generational talent at center on both offense and defense. And we've got Ben Simmons, who's a generational talent, you know, as, as a, a floor general that happens to be 6'10". And you, 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 you know, you look at what are they good at and what are they not good at. Neither one of them is a prolific perimeter offensive player, a perimeter scorer. Both of them, to be able to be maximized, need to have teammates that can create space for them. And, and, you know, this isn't even rocket science. Like, we saw it a couple years ago when, when Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris came in and they had J.J. Redick there. And, you know, they had enough perimeter threats. The defenses couldn't just load up on, on Embiid and Simmons. And the team had success. They, they didn't win it, but they were, what, one four-bounce uh, shot from Kawhi Leonard from potentially, you know, making it to, to the NBA Finals. So, um I think Doc Rivers comes in and he sees that. And, and so in the offseason, what did he do? He got rid of the, the wings that they had that weren't necessarily um, uh, creating the type of space that, that their guys needed. And they brought in shooters, you know. They, they, they brought in Seth Curry. You know, they, they, they brought in guys that could stretch the floor. And 
you know, all of a sudden, Embiid has room to work, and you, you see that when, when healthy and he has room to work, he's a monster. And the same with Simmons. I remember last year, really the last couple of years, all the talk was, oh, he has to develop a J. He's got to develop a three-pointer. You know, they, they would be like um, tracking it, like, whoa, he's only shot seven three-pointers all season, and he hasn't made any. You know, you haven't been hearing none of that this year. No. He, he's still taking and making very, very few uh, distant shots. But because there's space, he can go to the rim and be like, you know what, I'm 6'9", 6'10", and I'm faster than you and I'm stronger than whoever is guarding me. I can just put you in the rim. Or I can, you know, collapse the defense, and I'm an excellent passer, so I can set up my teammates to score. So, so yes, I think they're well-coached. Um, but more than that, I think that they're well-GM'd. You know, Daryl Morey, who's, I guess he's the president, but, you know, and Elton Brand, like, they, they, they put together a team that can succeed around their, their main parts. Uh, and by the way, uh, Doc Rivers, uh, Chicago guy, Doc Rivers, he will bust you, by the way. I saw that over the weekend. It was a dude laying in bed asking him questions on a Zoom call. And he was like, hey, Jackson, are you in the bed? <laughs> and the guy was like, yeah. And he was like, I'm sorry, I just had to ask. But he, say, he says, Jesus Christ, you're better than that, man. You got, you're in the bed. So so Doc will get you, man. Don't lay in the bed doing a Zoom call with him if you're trying to ask him questions about his team. My, my favorite part of that whole story is your Doc Rivers impression. You know, like everybody has that super horse Doc Rivers impression. Um, and uh, Jamie Foxx, I don't know if you saw, he had like an impression he did on a talk show where he was just like, Doc Rivers, he was a baby. Like they slapped him on the butt and he was like, hey, and just went into this horse cry, you know. So, so yeah, Doc Rivers, you know, he'll, he'll bust you and, and uh, he'll, he'll need a, 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 a throat lozenge after he gets done talking to you. Andre, I don't don't want to be prisoner of the moment but i'm just telling you man we've seen a lot of versions of the big three uh over the years but when you see the nets with kyrie irving james harden and kevin durant when he comes back and he's healthy enough to play and it's 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 just a talented trio the question i would have after watching the nets and you've seen the numbers or at least poured over them about their defense i know that they can score in, in bunches you have three prolific scores where do you place this these three amongst the best and what do you think of them defensively in a playoff situation yeah that is the question so it, it's interesting it's, it's been interesting and very fun to watch this brooklyn nets experiment as it's been playing out um, I'm unabashedly, before the season began, I did not think that, that Kyrie and KD was going to be the foundation of a team that would contend. You know, one of my predictions that I put on, on, on .com was that um, I didn't think the Nets were going to be a home court advantage team in the East this year. You know, I thought that there were at least four or five other teams. Now, I didn't expect the Heat and the Raptors to get off to such a cold start. But, you know, between the Heat, the Raptors, the Celtics, the Bucks and um, the Pacers, I, I thought that the Kyrie-KD version of the team was going to have trouble winning enough to, you know, to, 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 to get home court advantage. Now, when James Harden comes in, that changes things in a lot of ways. Um, initially, I was hesitant because, you know, Dinwiddie was out for the year and then they had to trade so many of their other strong young players to get Harden. That I just I looked at that big three and then the question that you asked me about their defense I was like I, I looked at the big three and I looked at the whole team and I was like this they can't be done I was like this team by itself they need more youth they need more defense you know DeAndre Jordan you know that's my man especially back in the day he was athletic um, he you know had some burst he could play some defense block some shots get some rebounds but he's you know like all of us he's getting a little older and I, there, there's not another defensive-oriented big man on the team anymore. And so that concerns me if I'm thinking, how are the Nets going to, to contend for a title? Um, I, I would like to see them bring in both some size and some depth because all three of, of their main pieces, you know, are either getting older or have a history with injury that's concerning. And so, you know, for them to actually contend, I think they need to be healthy and fresh. And I think they need they need some defensive help. Um, you asked about ranking the big three specifically. Their offensive fit has been much better than I would have anticipated, in part because they were willing to give the ball to Harden and say, you run the show. 
Um, I think that, you know, I was talking a lot earlier about those, these impact stats. It's like it bears out that, that Harden is the most impactful offensive player of this trio um, because he's an initiator. You know, um, Durant is, is one of the, if not the best uh, finisher that we've ever seen in the NBA as a scorer. But he's not somebody necessarily that you full-time run your offense through and, and let him create the way you would with LeBron. But, but Harden is. And the fact that they've, A, been willing to let him take the ball and run with it, and B, that he's been willing to do that and make himself more John Stockton than, you know, than, than, than the, the scorer that we know he could be, the guy that's won four uh, straight scoring titles. That has been huge. And so offensively, if they're playing like this, they have very few weaknesses. But defensively and in a team concept, I'm still not one that's quite ready to, to make them a championship favorite. I'm still not fully convinced that they're going to come out of the East. Uh, let us take a look at the Lakers since you mentioned LeBron. And so um, when you take a look at them, especially without uh, Anthony Davis is going to be out and Schroeder that is going to be back at some point. You know, I don't know where your 10,000-word column is on LeBron. I mean, this is something we've never seen before. Like, you can say all you want about Tom Brady, Andre Snellings. But, I mean, I mean, but this dude here, LeBron, says, I never get tired. I was concerned about him because they just got out the bubble, won the championship, and here they go again. So, I mean... There's got to be numbers. I know there's words. I don't know what to say about this machine at his age still getting it done. I just, I'm just overly impressed by it. I really am. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, Le LeBron is putting together a, a, a season for the ages because, you know, for all the reasons you laid out. Like, so they win the championship in, in mid-October, right? And then the NBA season starts in December. So we're talking for him, especially for, for anybody that was playing those finals, a two-month offseason. And this man's been playing in the NBA since 2003, you know, with his season 18. And, I mean, the, the fact that, like, like, so there was always a feeling, well, he's going to have to start slow. Um, I think initially there was speculation there was going to be load management, but he, he nipped that in the bud right off the bat before the season ever began. That he's like, I, I don't load manage. I'm, I'm, I'm going to play. And so then, you know, my expectation was, okay, well, he'll start the season slower and then try to ramp up as the season goes along. As we sit here today, I was talking about those impact stats. Real plus minus in the NBA, and I'm talking overall, not offense, not defense, overall. Number one in the NBA, LeBron James. And, and number one by like a solid margin, you know. So for, for him to be putting that season together, you're right. It's, it's incredible. I've, you know, I don't have a 10,000-column word, <laughs> word column on, on, on him. But I do have, you know, I've been making some little, uh, I call them hoop slab videos, where I discuss, you know, certain elements of the NBA. And, and my one from, from two weeks ago, I was talking about the Lakers and the Nets, you know, really the last two, two teams that you talked about. And I talked about LeBron, you know, and I talked about how if, if I had an MVP vote and we were voting right now, he, he's clearly the MVP of the NBA. Now, when it comes to Anthony Davis and, and the Lakers team prospects, that becomes a question now in, in you know, health and longevity and freshness. And, and you, we have to tie LeBron into that as well because he's doing all these amazing things at, at his advanced age, you know, as far as NBA terms go. You have to ask, man, is he going to be able to carry this load all season and then still be fresh enough for the postseason um, to make a postseason run? That's, I mean, that, that's a question. That's something that we'll have to see answered. I feel like if the Lakers are able to get through the season healthy, they don't have to be the number one seed. They don't, they don't you know, I don't even think it even matters what their seed is. It reminds me of... Um, you remember the Rockets in the mid-90s yes. when um, they, they had won a championship and then I think the next season they might have been like a, a number six seed going into the playoffs? Right. But it didn't matter. Once, once, you know, once the lights were on and, and Akeem Olajuwon had his dream shake working and, and, and they were really focused and Clyde Drexler was getting a little older at, at that point, but he was able to focus. You know, my granddad used to say, you know, I'm not the man I once was, but I'm all the man once that I ever was. You know, it's like if, 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 if they can get there and be healthy, then I think the Lakers, you know, they're, they're still the team to beat. But but that's a big if. Um, last week I did write a column with uh, Stefania Bell, who's, you know, excellent 
at ESPN as far as breaking down injuries and, and you know, what the prognosis is, what the injury is, what the prognosis is, and what to expect from players moving forward. And we wrote an article about Anthony Davis, and her point was that he's got two overlapping injuries, right? So the, the tendinosis in, in his Achilles, that's a chronic injury. And that's an injury that, you know, she pointed out, it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, something bad is about to happen. You know, like that doesn't necessarily mean that like, you know, you're about to tear your Achilles or, or anything like that. But it is an injury that has to be managed um, and it has to be managed over a long period of time. So it's a, that's a chronic injury. Well, then now he has a cast strain on top of that, which is an acute injury. And, you know, one of the things we point out, that she points out in the article, is that the two injuries don't necessarily have the same treatment. You know, this, for something like a cast strain, you might think you would want to rest that. But the Achilles tendinosis, in order for your Achilles to be strong, it has to bear load. It has to, you know, that that's how you treat that. And so the, the, the long and the short is that we don't know in the regular season at what point, if at all, we'll see Anthony Davis fully back up to speed, playing regular minutes, carrying his, his heavy load, or his regular load. It's possible, but it's also possible that he, he is the one that ends up being managed as the season goes along. The question is, can they successfully do that and get him to the playoffs ready to, to play at his normal level? If so, then they're contenders. They're, they're, they're the favorite. If not, then, you know, uh, they, 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 then could be trouble, trouble. Oh, like no. uh, your Chicago and Bernie Mac would say. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, last thing, Dre, and I appreciate your time. Tell me about the team that intrigues you the most in the league right now. Woo, okay. Wow, I got to pick just one. Yep. All right, um, that, that's a hard question because there are some really intriguing teams. I'm not one that's given up on Milwaukee. I, I, I feel like they've been so overlooked this year um, because even before they, they didn't have the greatest start, you know, just because of how they've lost in the playoffs the last couple of seasons, I feel like people have looked past Giannis and looked past the team like, oh, well, they're not real contenders, whereas I think they really still are. I think that, that you know, to me, they look like a team that's tinkering. They, they said, you know what? these last couple of seasons playing the way we were playing we couldn't necessarily win um we could still play like that but um instead let's try to you know tweak things so the Giannis isn't you know give the ball to will offense like like it used to be from the old fresh prince where the offense would give the ball to Giannis and just let him work right you know that, that hasn't translated and, and they brought in drew holiday and they still got chris middleton so i think they're working on trying to make the offense more egalitarian and the same on defense. Like last year, Giannis was a defensive player of the year because they funneled every everything to the middle, kind of like an older school style of defense. They, they they had multiple bigs out there and they tried to funnel everything to the middle, but that left things open on the perimeter for, for shooters. And, you know, many of the strong defenses in the NBA now are going to this switching approach. And I, I think they're working on, okay, well, can we try to do that? Um, and so I put that together and I'm like, this team didn't forget how to play, and they've got more talent. So I'm very intrigued to see what they do by the end of the season. And honestly, that whole ramble was not meant to be my answer. I was trying to give a preamble that I'm interested in the Bucks, but that y'all need to keep your eye on the Raptors. And I, and I wrote an article about the Raptors on .com last week. I wrote it two weeks ago, interestingly. When I pitched it, the Raptors were like 11th in the East. And I was like, hey, um, ESPN Analytics has this, this new – well, they've, they've redone their BPI stat, which is a team uh, evaluation stat. And according to BPI, the Raptors were like a top five-ish caliber team, even though they were 11th in, in the East. And, and there was a dichotomy there. And so when I pitched the article, that was a situation. And I was wanting to say, hey, keep an eye out on the Raptors. By the time the article came out last week, they were up to eighth in the East and were beating Milwaukee on back-to-back -back days. And now they're up to what? sixth and like a game or two out of the th third spot so um you know i kind of cheated to give you two teams but the raptors and the bucks are both on my list of teams that i'm really paying attention to you can ask this man for one team he gives you two but he's andre snellings <laughs> exactly so once again beyond the bolts uh changing the game uh, Andre, give us that uh, that Twitch address again. This will take place 5.30 Eastern, 4.30 Central Time on Thursday. Once again, uh, tell people where they can watch it on Twitch. Definitely. You can watch it live on First TV. The address is 
twitch.tv slash first inspires is one word. You can also come to my Twitter handle, uh, Professor Driz, that's the word Professor DRZ, and I'll be pubbing this as the week goes along, and I'll have, um, you know, this flyer up with, with all this information. So, you know, one, one way or the other, we want you guys to be able to get there and check this out. It's always my pleasure, man. Thank you so much for giving us some time. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. I can't wait till next time. Great to talk to Professor Driz, Andre Snellings, analytics expert for ESPN.com. Don't forget to share this podcast. Share with people that Jonathan Hood talks basketball. On the Other Hood Basketball Podcast, brought to you by DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook. If you're a Kappa J Hood listener, tell people that I'm on with David Kaplan, 7 to 10 a.m. Central Time on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. And don't forget, you can find this podcast also on Spotify. Download the podcast on Spotify. Follow along. You just never know what's going to drop on this podcast. If you love basketball, college, pro, anything else, you will love the Under the Hood Basketball Podcast. So much information from our guests and stuff that we find from around the world of basketball. Thank you so much, for as always, for supporting the podcast. One reminder, on Saturday night, I will be... With Will Purdue, four-time NBA champion and also an analyst for the Chicago Bulls on NBC Sports Chicago, we will do a show together and that you will hear on this podcast. Me and Will Purdue, the four-time NBA champion, will be on Sirius XM NBA Radio after Dallas takes on Brooklyn. That is the primetime game on ABC on Saturday night. We'll be on after that game until midnight. So make sure that you check out Sirius 207 XM86 and the Sirius XM app to listen to us live or catch part of that conversation that Will and I are going to have on this podcast. Hope that you get a chance to hear us live, though, because we're going to have a lot of fun talking about the Bulls and the NBA and everything else in between on Saturday night on Sirius XM NBA Radio, Saturday night after Dallas takes on the Brooklyn Nets. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Let's do it again. Right here on the Under the Hood Basketball Podcast, brought to you by DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook.